So you've decided to give up that old behavior that's been killing you and all you care for and surrender to a power greater than yourself. That's the first step. Surrender is what opens the prison door. Now it's time to walk through that door and into a whole new way of life. Spirituality, self-care, service, social connection, and the simple daily disciplines that pave the way to lasting freedom. This is Positive Sobriety. another episode of the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Oh, as the, uh, the, the, the long pandemic wears on, we're now into the early days of summer. We have passed Memorial Day yeah. 2020 here in Middle Tennessee. Uh, I'll t- tell you what, David, I am still f- feeling the effects of quarantine fatigue yeah, isn't that an odd phenomenon? I mean, <laughs> it really is strange. The um, the having to really think and decide what and with whom I am going to allow myself to spend any time at all. Yeah. Yeah. But- and one of the most vexing challenges right now for me is long-range planning. Uh, you know, we cleared the schedule for the spring and canceled all the speaking engagements, the same for the summer. Now I've got a full slate of engagements scheduled for the fall, uh, including, by the way, the big Samson Society retreat, which right. will happen the first weekend in November, for which we already have record registration. Oh, man. And uh, and crossing our fingers, you know, we're talking about guys coming from all across the country, all around the world to come and, you know, hang together in a big room uh, ex- except for a small number of people who registered early and were able to get private rooms or semi-private rooms. Mm-hmm. Guys looking at sleeping in uh, bunk rooms or bunk houses yeah. and wondering, gee, oh boy, I hope we can do it. I hope we can do it. Yeah. Uncertainty, man. I don't like uncertainty. You know, I, I tell you, it, Yes, I, I I am with you a hundred percent. I I like to know every minute, every day, where everything's going to go and where I'm going to be and what's going to be what. And uh, this this thing is this isolation, but this pandemic, this whole shift—I'm going to just call it a shift, disruption, whatever—has taught us a lot about ourselves. I think. Yeah, and the limits of our control. Mm, I think. Yeah. I think I was under the impression, sure, we surrender to a higher power. Uh, and, you know, and that's, a, that's an easy thing to do as long as we still have, you know, our finger on the throttle and a hand on the steering wheel. Uh, you know, w- we still can schedule our own life mm-hmm. and we know with some certain. But um, when we cannot pr- have enough certainty in what's ahead to be able to make a plan, or if when all our plans go to hell right with a diagnosis that comes out of nowhere for example right 
Yeah. We are brought once again face to face with our powerlessness. Yeah. And that's a lot of um, what we're going to talk about with our guests today. It's going to be a little bit different um, uh, slant on the show today than uh, most of our guests. Um, and uh, yet equally um, strong in the, in the principles of recovery and how those yeah. are applied, but, but coming from a very, very different story. Yeah, so let's not uh, let's not dangle this before our audience much longer. <laughs> let's let's just bring on the guest and start the conversation. Stay with us. We'll be right back on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. And welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. We've got a fascinating guest this week, a guy joining us from the recently thawed frozen wastes of the Upper Peninsula in Michigan, uh, <laughs> uh, Bruce Matson. Bruce, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be with you. Uh, well, the first thing we always like to do with our guests is to uh, uh, ask them to give us a little of the backstory. Tell us... Uh, in brief, give us a thumbnail sketch of your life. How old a guy are you? Let me ask you that just to start out. Well, I'm 56 years old, and mm-hmm. uh, I've been an educator all my life. I'm just finishing my 29th year as an educator. I've been both a teacher and a building principal. So I'm getting near to retirement. I need my 30 years to retire, so getting there. But um, wow. Yeah, I've always worked with kids. I've been a coach, football, basketball, track, and and just always loved working with kids. And so it's it's just been my passion to try to help the next generation. Where did that passion come from? Did you have uh, mentors uh, or, or uh, you know people that you idolized during your school years? You know, I, I did the. I had some teachers that really inspired me and, and, and I especially had some coaches, my football coaches that just, they saw things in me that I didn't see and they helped bring me to a level as a person and as, as a performer, as an athlete in, in ways that I could have, couldn't have imagined. So I know their inspiration and the things they said to me really helped mold who I am and who I was meant to be. And they saw things in me I, I didn't see myself. So um, especially in the role of leadership, because I never saw myself as a kid as being a leader. And they saw that and I ended up being in many positions of leadership. So without them, I, I wouldn't have gotten to the places I, I have. Wow. Oh, that's uh, I, I just makes me smile to hear you say that, Bruce, because it it parallels so closely my own story. I'm just so grateful for the for the public school teachers who, uh, in my own life, mm-hmm. you know the the dedication, the way the, the way they kind of filled in uh, places that were not uh, addressed at home or in church. Uh, and saw things in me I didn't see. Yeah. yeah. Well, God bless you. So you're coming up on coming up on 30 years in the field. Uh, what can you tell us some, uh, about your uh, personal life as a young man and then as an adult? Well, 
I always thought, you know, I was a good, hardworking person. And, and I think that I've achieved a lot of things through personal will, personal effort. I always think I can do it on my own and trying to outwork the next person. And, and that did, to some extent, bring me some success. I, um, you know, but I did once I got older now and eventually after, you know, I had gone through an health, a health crisis, I realized that I was sometimes trying to get through things by myself when that's just not the best way to go. That's not the best way to live, you know, that, that including others and, and making them part of the journey is a real important part. So, yeah, I was ambitious as, you know, and whether it was playing sports and, you know, but I made the all-star team in Little League. I made the all-star team in Babe Ruth and, you know, I, I made all conference in football and, you know, but it, but when I look back, it's because of the people who are around me. I think early on, I, I was thinking, boy, look what I'm doing. And I have a better appreciation for the people who are around me. Well, get me to that opportunity, those levels and get me those opportunities. And, even in the classroom and as a building principal, I was just really driven. Um, and so it, it was, but I don't think I, I enjoyed the ride enough. You know, I was always mm-hmm. pressuring myself. What's the next level? What's the next accomplishment? Mm. And, and I've learned in hindsight now to appreciate the journey more. And that's the message I try to get to people that, you know, you're doing this with others. You don't, you're not living life on your own. You got to include others. You got to, it's more joyful to include yeah. others and share it with others. And so I, um, so yeah, it's, it's something that I, I hope I've had a positive impact on my kids, but having gone through my health crisis, I think I'm even better at really seeing and trying to meet their needs. Yeah. Well, Bruce, I want to talk about your health crisis, but but first I want to just mention that you are also an author, um, not just an educator. And by the way, you know, as an educator, I think it'd be a great time for you guys to ask for a raise because <laughs> <laughs> everybody that's homeschooling their kids right now in this in this, uh, you know, kind of quarantine, shutdown, sheltering at home, uh, probably has just realized that you are, as we all knew before, but you all are greatly underappreciated for what you do. So uh, I'm sure that, you know, this would be an awesome time for you guys to leverage that, but that's just me. Um, But you are an author and uh, you wrote a book called From Goo to God, A Science-Based Defense of Creationism Versus Evolution. And I know we're not you know, here to talk about the book per se today, but did the book happen prior to your health crisis? Because I really want to get to that. But did the book happen prior or was that um, after uh, you, you went through the, the uh, whole uh, the cancer uh, struggle? Uh, it came afterward. Because I think the the health crisis dealing with stage four cancer, it just is a wake up call and it refocused my life into totally different directions. That I was no longer, again, me centered. You know, what's my next level? What's the next accomplishment? Mm-hmm. I realized all those things were no longer that important. Are they are are they significant? Yes, but they 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 were no longer the focal point of my life because it was a health crisis that got me to 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 re- renew my faith to realize that 
you know, I, I'm here for a purpose and a reason, and and it's more than just what I can do. It's it's the impact that I can have in others, and so that's what kind of led to the book because I, as a teacher of science for many years, I would it always bothered me that there were many things about evolution that I know just aren't true scientifically, and I'm not talking biblically. I'm not talking by faith that scientifically can be proven it's not true. And those things just bothered me, you know, because they're part of the approved curriculum and you're supposed, and evolution was spoken so matter-of-factly. And so I just, as I reflected more about my own purpose, my own direction, Mm -hmm. uh, reaffirmed my faith, I I realized that part of that is I want to teach my kids truth. And again, I just... The more I researched about evolution, I realized you can just totally dismantle the precepts it's built on. And it's just something that I wanted to share. And, and I thought people need to know because we are, I believe, created in the image of God. And and so once people understand we do have a creator, then I hope that that will lead them to, to being a person of faith. Yeah. Well, as a person who has lost a spouse to a chronic progressive illness, um, I know that um, chronic illness um, changes you and it often takes the issues we have. Um, It doesn't always bring new issues. It takes the ones we have and turns them up to 11. Um, Can you tell us, um, can just kind of tell us the story of, um, you know, the, uh, the road you, you went down with this, with this disease and, um, and how it impacted you. Well, I was, um, it's funny, I went to work one day on a Monday and, and people are saying, you look horrible. And I'm saying, no, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. And they say, you got to go to get checked out. And so literally the, the, my, my boss gives me the phone number for the local clinic said, you're calling now. And, and so I, I call and I get in there and they do some lab work and they say, you know, there's something more going on here. And so actually the next day they called, can you give us some more blood? And, and, and well, to make a long story short, by Friday, I'm, I have an appointment with a hematologist oncologist and I'm told that I have stage four follicular lymphoma. Wow. Um, so it, it's like, I knew something was wrong. You know, I wasn't, but I was sadly, uh, that's one of the positive things I'm learning to know my body. And before I, I didn't want to go to doctors. I, I was just, you know, too tough for that. And I, I'm and sort of, and, but it, it was a wake up call. You know, I knew, I think I knew something was wrong for a period of time. Cause I was having symptoms of my hands were trembling and horrible night sweats, uh, extreme fatigue. And it's almost like I was in denial until I actually had to go to a doctor and, and so, yeah, also not your, to be told that, um, I think I knew that something was wrong. And to be honest, it was almost a relief to me to know, okay, I know what I have. And what I so appreciate is that my doctor within the first 10 seconds told me what it was. And then he started to talk about the chemo and the things we we're going to have to do. And I just knew in my heart, I'm going to be okay. God's got this. And, and it, and I'll admit, I, I probably was very superficial in my faith and not keeping it at the center of my life. But as soon as he said the stage four cancer, I just had this feeling in my heart. I said, I, God's got this. I'm going to be okay. 
I just have to endure whatever it is. And after he gave his spiel, I just said, what's the next step and how quick can we get started? Because I just knew that I'm going to get recovered from this. It's just a matter of starting the process and enduring whatever that's going to be. Mm. Wow. Now, had you been had you been raised in a religious or a, a Christian home? Yes, yes. I, I was born and raised as a Lutheran, and I was confirmed that way. And I, I was in the in the church choir and played church softball and church basketball and things like that. So I was pretty active as a kid. And and I, I think yeah, that's a guy that became a young adult. I I don't know if the right term is fell away. I I, I wasn't as active, you know, and and it just mm-hmm. became less of a priority to me. And but I always believed. And I guess what I in hindsight, feel bad about is, but my faith wasn't the center point of my life. It wasn't guiding the decisions I made and how I look to others and, and and treat others all the time. And and so I don't think I was a bad person, but I I I was more me centered. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, so I actually I had actually made the comment before that uh, to to um, one of my media consultants that. I was actually glad I got cancer. And he, he said, what in the world are you saying? And it just, it made me reevaluate my life, where I'm going, what's truly important. And I guess it made me value more so, not that I didn't, but to overtly value my friends and my family. And even when I talk about different teachers and coaches that affected my life, I started to talk to them now and tell them what they meant to me and and tell them, you know, how much I value their friendship or, or how much I love them, you know. And it, it got me to say things that I that were unsaid that sometimes you don't say until maybe someone passes away and you go, gee, I wish I would have told him this. So it, it opened me up to be more appreciative and to show that appreciation to people and just to to let them know how much I value them. And so I, I feel like I'm a better person having gone through 18 rounds of chemo and and even though it was very brutal it was worth it to get get me to the point I am now wow and bruce the awakenings that come with uh, getting healthy uh, w- did you did you struggle at times thinking that um this isn't fair um i don't deserve to be uh, going through this. Uh, I'm, uh, I've, you know, did you have a Job moment, you know, or something, you know, or, you know, look, look, I've, I've, I've lived a righteous life or whatever, and here I am uh, suffering, or did you really did that just that, that purpose moment epiphany that you had early on carry you through, um, all of that, all of that horrendous treatment that you experienced? You know what? I, again, it might be hard to believe, but that's absolutely true that I did not have a woe is me moment. Mm. When, when he told me, when the doctor told me we're going to start the chemo and it's, and, and so in my mind, I'm thinking there's a, there's an end point to this. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the number of days it is. It might take me a hundred days. It might take me 200. It might take me 500. I don't know how long, but there is an end point. And so I'm just was determined in my mind, I'm just going to get through a day at a time and like check them off. And 
and almost, um, I don't know if the right word is to celebrate that day, even if it's a tough day, because I had some brutal days early on. But just to know that I'm a step closer to being recovered. I'm a step closer. So I'm checked off that day. I endured the day. And actually, I'm glad I got through it because there's one less I got to get through. So I tried to put a positive spin on the tough days, you know, because it's getting me to where I need to be. And, and, and that was one of the things I realized, health, family, friends, you know, that's what's valuable here. And I had those people around me now that just were so supportive and sometimes people that I, I didn't include in my life as, as much as I needed to. And so, so, yeah, I had that support system and, and, um, but it, it, I never had a doubt. It just a matter of, I didn't know what, how many days I was going to have to go through till I started to, I guess, get to normalcy or at least to start feeling somewhat normal. Mm -hmm. But I just, I knew it was a, it was a, it was a finite number and I just had to keep clicking off days get through days till I got to that number. And I knew I would kind of mm. trusting God in the process, I guess. Yes. Yes. Um, I definitely started to look more toward my faith. I def- definitely started to, uh, 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 listen to more, uh, pastors on TV, look, read the Bible more. I, I bought some books on faith just, so I did take my faith to a whole nother level um, and because it, it just, it comforted me. It gave mm-hmm. me peace, uh, mm-hmm. even with stage four cancer. And obviously once I had the diagnosis, then they did the scans. It was through all my bone marrow and every lymph node. Mm. My, my doctor wow. said, you, you lit it up like a Christmas tree. He said, you are well along here, you know? So normally when you hear it's in the lymph system, that's, that's not a good sign. You know, your, mm. your odds are, are going down. And, and I just didn't believe for a moment that I wouldn't get through it. It did make me think about my mortality. It did make me think about that. So as I delve more into my, my faith, I, I realized I know where I'm going to go. I'm not afraid to die. I am not afraid to die. I know where I'm, I'm going to be with the Lord. But what eventually motivated me to write the book was... I thought about my family and friends, and even though a lot of people might say they're they have faith, that doesn't necessarily mean they really um, live it or it's truly in their heart, you know. And, and so I wrote the book. I want them to know what's on my heart, and I wanted it to be like a conversation starter. Here, read this book because um, I wanted to know if they're going to be with me in the inter- eternity. I, I really felt that way. I, I didn't want to not have that conversation. And it wasn't something I normally talked about with like my friends a lot about our faith or anything. But I figured this is a way that I can just give them my book, have them read it, say, this is what's on my heart. And, and, and it did. It led to conversations, deeper conversations with family and friends that reassured me, you know, that, and I thought, I can't do this. I have to know you know, I don't want someone to casually say, oh, yeah, I believe. And maybe they, they really don't. And I and I, I just want them to know Christ as, as their savior. And 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 I, I just it just I was compelled to do it. And that was the main motivator. I never believed that my book would, I guess, 
or intended for or purposed for it to be as as big as it has been and and the podcasts I've been on and opportunities like that it's far more than what I so I look at the good lord's given me this opportunity too you know that just expanded who I was trying to impact because I never even knew that a publisher would want to pick it up you know I thought well I'll write this I'll make a pdf copy send it to family and friends and yeah <laughs> and when I hear a publisher saying Wow, this is really cool. This is this is just we, we you're the kind of author we want. It was just kind of like really. I was, I was kind of expecting that. Eh, thanks, but no thanks. Good luck to you. And yeah. Going, no, we'll bring you on. So it, it was. It, it was just. Yeah. It's beyond what I I, I comprehended or intended or the on, but I, I'm so grateful that I can reach others now too. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Hey, I'd love to talk a little bit about self care. I know from my own story, I've not thank God, to date, had to deal with um, a life-threatening disease. I have had a few knocks on the door, reminders of my mortality. Uh, I'm aware that I am aging, but I am a, rec- uh, a recovering addict. And I do, one of the things that I had to learn, and one of the disciplines I'm still developing, is uh, self-care. It's amazing how I subordinated for a couple of decades uh, any care of my body or my own mental, emotional, spiritual condition. I sacrificed it all to uh, compulsive behavior. If I'm hearing you right, it sounds as though, you know, for quite a few years, you put all of that stuff, uh, you uh, subordinated those proper concerns with self-care to achievement uh, and, you know, ambition, striking goals and reaching them. And now you've kind of, you've got to shift the focus. You've got purpose. You've got, you know, life purpose and mission. And out of it has come this book and a wealth of conversations and contacts. But uh, how, how does self-care look different to you than it did before the diagnosis and the treatment? That's a great question. In the past, uh, I really wasn't in tune with my body. You know, I would just press on regardless with, with however I was feeling, and and you know, I'd go to work and and I, I mean, I was fortunate. I never truly had any real severe illnesses and that sort of thing. And but um, I, I didn't really worry about my diet and and mm-hmm. and the things I was putting into my body. And I. I it, but once I, it's funny because once I was on the chemo treatments, now my body started talking to me, mm. and because yeah, <laughs> I tell you what, my body knew if I ate something good and nutritious, 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 can't say it, or something that's not good for me. I mean, I would feel it, and and I, it's funny because I actually got cravings for certain things that I started eating far more, um, uh, you know, vegetables and, and fruit and things like that. And, and the things like uh, pizza and nachos just didn't appeal to me anymore. It, it's, but it's like my body was dictating it. My body was saying, eat the good things. And it's funny because it was about a two and a half hour ride to where I had to get my tre- chemo treatments. And I, well, in part, I was also on a diuretic because I, I, had to help flush the, 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 the I guess the dead cells. Yeah. The toxins yeah. out of my body. And so I'd have to stop like every 45 minutes on the way 
And I had to not only use the bathroom, but I'd, I'd grab a V8. It's something about V8 juice. <laughs> I craved it. But I tell you, what, I couldn't drink because it, but it was getting my body nutrition. It's just funny. I couldn't get enough of it. And otherwise, I, I rarely had a V8. You know, I mean, I, it was years since I had had one. And now I'm like, I got it. It's every stop, I get another V8. But my body was telling me, you need this. You need to take care of me. You need to put some good things into me. And if I would eat something that was, wasn't really very, you know, good for me, I, I just, I would feel more bogged down. And so, yeah, I started to listen to that. And, and um, so I'm far more mindful of that. I, was say, I used to be just a heavy coffee drinker. Now, once going through chemo, I couldn't stand the taste of coffee. It was just wow. really weird. That's wild. And so it's like, not that coffee's, you know, that bad for people, but I probably drank more of it than I needed to. And it's like my body was saying, you know, back off on this. And, and it kind of directed me. To, I could literally feel and sense if I ate good things, I felt better. And so it was a, it was a good thing, you know, that sometimes it's so easy to eat um, fast food and, and not worry about the calories and, you know, the, the whatever fat contents and whatever aren't, might not be good in sugar levels. And, but I, I'm very conscious of that, but having the illness got me to focus more on that and realize that, you know, I'm not treating my body like I should. And, mm. uh, it's, it's something that we, we only have the one and, and, uh, when you do though, it responds, it responds positively when you, when you start to take care of it. Wow. How about the pace of life? Has the pace of life changed for you? Now you, the, the, writing a book, I know from experience is no small task. That's a, that's a pretty big mountain to climb. Um, how have you been able to, you know, l- launch what's in essence, almost a second career while wrapping up the heavy demands of an initial career and everything else um, has has the pace of life changed for you? Have you gotten more intentional, intelligent about how you allocate your time and how much rest you get? That kind of thing. Yes, I definitely have. Um, it's funny that again, being in the Upper Peninsula, of Michigan, I started writing. It was actually in uh, January, where and we had several heavy snow days where we didn't have school. <laughs> oh, okay. So, and I actually that's what I I was sitting home one one day and I, I just I I had seen a commercial actually for Trilogy Publishing on TV, and for some reason it, it just clicked. That's my avenue because I had these things spinning around in my brain, but I thought, how, how am I ever going to do it? And again, Trilogy was saying they're looking for people who have more of a faith-based message. And if you want to take a chance, you know, throw your, your manuscript to us. And, and I just thought, you got no excuse. Oh, that's it. You just had a commercial. That's your avenue. That's how you do it. And I just started writing. And it, it um, to be honest, it, it, it just flowed. I, I was so full of things I wanted to say. And then even though we had a few snow days, I wrote just throughout the day. Then, then once the school started again, I'd be writing till two, three in the morning. I go, Oh no, I got to get some sleep. It, it was, <laughs> it was actually, I, I, I just enjoyed it. It, it was, it was invigorating. Um, and, and I just felt it was again, my, my direction, my purpose, like I'm finally doing, cause it just felt right. And and the sources I was looking for, they were just, you know, all the right things I was needing. 
in the, finding the right words were just coming. And it, it, it I just felt, I, I felt like the good Lord was guiding me to, to, to how to say it, you know, how to get my message through and, and make it, uh, as my dad said, when he wrote the book, it, it's shortened to the point. He said, that's what I like and, and make my points and, and hopefully, you know, say the things that can, uh, make a difference on, at least make people think, you know, make yeah. people think and, and, and make decisions for themselves. Cause that, you know, that's all I want is to throw some facts out about the science against evolution and make people, you know, make it part of the conversation because because mm-hmm. typically it's not. Yeah. And uh, I mean, even to, for instance, like scientists like um, Nikola Tesla and, and Einstein didn't believe in evolution. Well, why isn't that in a textbook? I mean, that's not promoting God. But they're saying there's no way evolution happened. There's too much what they call intelligent design in the world f- for that to be true. And, and they had lots of other reasons. But, you know, just things like that, that I think people need to know that it's not a one-sided story and, and they need to know the other side. And then they can make the decision for themselves what they want to believe. Yeah. I, you know, Bruce, I hear you saying a lot about your um, your your recovery and your and your really kind of your determination from the very beginning that you believed you were, um, you, you, you were very, uh, I I don't want to say just determined, but you had a, you had a deep sense that you were going to get better, a a, a deep knowing, inner knowing of of some kind. And so, uh, you know, I was thinking about these parallels between our recovering audience, uh, and, um, people who might be saying, well, you know, i I can't relate to the cancer piece. I can't relate to, uh, you know, having a physical disease. My disease looks like this, you know, my disease takes me here on a daily basis. And, um, you know, I, I'm afraid to believe that I can be different than I am right now. And, um, it, the thing I hear in your story, just, you know, briefly is that you had a, you had a, when you said that you had this daily, kind of mantra that today I have ahead of me just to get through today and to survive today and to do what I know to do today, to care for myself today, to go through my treatment today, to do what I'm told today. Um, That's a big recovery principle. And you found purpose even within your, your story and your suffering eventually, and you found passion, you know, your passion to write and stay up and, and um, communicate a message that you believe in very deeply and are, are very passionate about. And I kept thinking, you know, this is, this is so parallel to recovery in so many ways, because the daily disciplines, the daily message we have to give ourselves that I can get through this, I will get through this, I need to do this today and only today. I don't have to buy off you know, a year from now. I don't know what a year from now is going to look like, but I know that today I can do this and today that I can be passionate about this. Uh, I can have purpose and find purpose in this and, um, I, you know, everyone that's dealing with a, um, you know, a compulsive behavior an addiction, an unwanted behavior, uh, of some kind, um, and a disease of, um, uh, a substance use disorder, um, is, I think can take away those things and apply those things, um, just as much as you did in a life threatening illness. So I, I appreciate you, you kind of 
bringing that thread through here because that's that's what that's what we all have to do. You know, and another thing that I learned a lot about myself, good and bad. Yes, I was determined. Yes, I had the faith I'd get through it. But on the negative side of that, part of me initially on, at the beginning was maybe I can go through this chemo without telling anybody. I was like way overprotective. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm thinking how how I can't how am in the world are going to tell my mom and dad? And I'm just thinking maybe they won't know because again I'm thinking. I'm a strong guy. I can do this. I can endure it. And it's funny because initially, you know, once my family found out and then my sister tells me, you got to start telling your friends, they're mm. going to find out. And, and, and I'm like, did, Oh yeah, I did, guess so. Did, did you, you know? feel, did you feel stigmatized by the cancer? No, I, I was like in defensive mode. Mm. I didn't want other people to worry about me. Mm-hmm. I didn't want people to, you know, to to have their daily concerns about me. I just thought, you know, I can endure this. And and again, I, I was so wrong um, because, again, after my sister told me that, I started to call friends. Each night I, I'd call, you know, I th- and just some people I hadn't seen in years. And we ended up having two-hour conversations. And I'm, I'm thinking, man, I'm reconnecting with people who were big parts of my life. Maybe I haven't seen them in a while. And not only am I reconnecting, I... I'm telling them how much I appreciate them as a friend and mm-hmm. just telling them things that maybe that I'd never said before. And I kind of pointed to that earlier and it was just, I don't know. It's just a, a wonderful part of the process, you know, to, to reconnect with them and hear them saying, we're with you through this, you know, and know I could rely on them and, and know that I'm, I don't have to do it alone. And it's funny. One of my friends, because he could still see I was defensive and protective mm-hmm. because he's a good friend. He, he said it in a loving, but stern way. He says, Bruce, you know, just, he says, you're not weak just because you need help. He said, oh, wow. you're not weak. Cause I think that was part of me, you know, that I don't want to show weakness. And he says, let your friends and family help you. And I so needed to hear that, yeah. that it's okay that you're not a weak person if you need help. You know, things happen to people, whether they say an addiction, nobody wants that, a cancer, nobody wants that. But all of a sudden you're you're in it, you're in the heat of the moment. And it's, no, you can't deal with it on your own. And so I, I learned to not only to embrace the help, and but I, I also, um, well, I'll put this, it was very, very, humbling because once I started the chemo, my my parents, again, they could up as I was weak. I was so weak. And they came to me and said, Bruce, you need to put your things in storage and you come home with, with us. Mm. And I at the time at 49 years old had to go back with my parents and they had to take care of me. And I couldn't have done it without them. Now, again, when I initially get diagnosed at that, I'm, it, it was not possible. And to just to, to allow myself to be humbled and be okay with that, to realize, you know, it's all right. I'm, I'm blessed that I have my parents yet. Again, I have friends who, who parents have passed away, and I have them, and they're here. We're going to take care of you. And, it was, and so after, at the time, I was away from, from home for about 22 years, and I reconnected with them. I got to know my parents again. And 
And again, I needed them. I'm so lucky I had them. And so, you know, there, there, there's a lot of, again, if you let people help you, let include them, they're just blessings with the relationships and, and, and things that, that just are so more beyond what you're trying to overcome. I mean, they help you on that road to recovery, but when you just f- feel that support and let people support you, let, let them care for you, and you, you have those deeper conversations, it, it just m- makes you know, I'm getting through this and I'm going to be better for it in the end. Yeah. And, and uh, so, yeah, it, it was, it was humbling. And, and, but that w- that's a good thing again, because yeah. I think my pride early on was saying, you can do this on your own. You, you, and it's like, no, let people help you. Let the people love and care about you be in your life, support you, because that's the healthy way to live. And that's, you know, psychologically and emotionally, let other people uh, go along this journey, even though it's difficult, because it'll help you through it. Yeah. Nobody gets better alone. So, no. Boy, that is a, that is a wonderful piece of advice uh, to end on. Can't thank you enough. The book, by the way, is From Goo to God, A Science-Based Defense of Creationism versus Evolution by uh, Bruce R. Matson. It's available, of course, on Amazon. Uh, and uh, if our listeners want to get in touch with you directly, what's the best way for any of our listeners to reach you, Bruce? Uh, I, I have my own website at Bruce, middle initial R Matson, Bruce R Matson one.com. And it's the same address for Facebook and Twitter and Twitter, Bruce R Matson one. Uh, so yeah, they can, I, I have other podcasts posted and book reviews and little TV commercial if they want to go to my website. And, and, and I, I just hope that if people realize, you know, that, we're created in the image of God and, and that can help them on the road to recovery. And, and, and again, I, I tried to show them, we do have a creator with the book, you know, that, that I give science that proves that. And I, and I just want, I want them to consider it and be open-minded to it. And I think they'll be surprised and, and I hope it'll, it'll change their heart and, and lead them on the road to faith and recovery. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Well, Bruce, thank, well, thank you. you so much, Bruce. Yeah, go ahead, David. Well, I was just going to say thank you again for sharing your story, and I'm so happy for your outcome, and um, and and our our audience, I know, is uh, genuinely going to uh, rejoice with you and your good news uh, of recovery. But thank you for sharing your recovery story with us, even though it's just a little bit different uh, than maybe what we would normally. Uh, Uh, put on our our show. I think your principles are absolutely spot on for our folks. So thank you again for for being uh, just uh, forthright and honest with us. Well, you're very welcome. Again, if it can help even one person, it's all worth it. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. All right. Well, listeners, stay with us. We'll be back in just a moment on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. And Nate, I I was um, inspired by many things that Bruce said. And I think that one of the things that really jumped out at me was that a renewed reminder that 
part of our recovery is finding that thing that we love and and engaging in it and finding that uh, that purpose, that passion, and that daily self-care and that all I have to do today is just today. You know, um, his approach to chemo, for instance. And uh, because when I first uh, was uh, approached by his um, publicist about coming on this show, I thought, well, you know, I don't know, cancer and recovery. I don't know if we're going to do that. Um, uh, you know, <laughs> can, can, can we make that leap? I mean, what's the, you know, what's the connection there? And, and it really, cl- it kind of crystallized for me as he was talking that, <laughs> you know, we gotta have, yeah, yeah. we gotta have people around us. We've got to have community. You can't get well alone. I mean, all the things that he said just really resonated and it underscored, uh, uh, kind of a more universal principle than even addiction when it comes to just being human. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's almost as though he'd been diagnosed with an ongoing fatal disease mm-hmm. uh, for which there, you know, there was treatment, but it was going to require his sur- his full participation, his complete surrender. Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. And daily and daily maintenance when uh, initial treatment was over. Yeah. You're going to have to accept help. You're going to have to do some things you don't want to do. You're going to have to surrender to the process. Yeah. All that. But in the but but in the process, perhaps you are going to discover your greater purpose. You're going to discover mission. Your life is going to be richer, not poorer. You're going to find your place within the created order. You're going to reconnect with brothers and sisters in the human race and life will become larger, not smaller. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, We all learn a lot more about who we are in crisis than, than in not, you know? Yeah. So, but still I flinch at the, at even the prospect of crisis, anything that's going to interrupt the smooth sailing along the course that I've designed. Anything is going to require change of me. I instinctively resist, even if a benevolent higher power has something in store that's actually going to improve my life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'll tell you what, I was inspired. I was challenged. I was encouraged. I was instructed. I'm going to live my life a little different today. I'm going to make a couple phone calls that I had not planned to make. And I'm going to have a V8. <laughs> Absolutely. V8's not just for Bloody Marys anymore. I mean, yeah. Right. <laughs> and I was going to go get a cup of coffee when we finished, but I'm thinking I might not. Yeah, it might yeah, rethink yeah. that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah but, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, Nate, speaking of uh, not a clumsy segue here, but speaking of making better choices in our lives. Uh, we have a wonderful sponsor partner uh, with the podcast now uh, called Try Better Help, and that's H-E-L-P, trybetterhelp.com. And um, betterhelp.com is an online uh, counseling service. It's an, They have about 500,000 uh, subscribers now, and they are licensed professionals. Um, BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. And you can start communicating in under 24 hours. Uh, it's not a crisis line and it's not a self-help line. It's a professional counseling service done securely, uh, HIPAA compliant line. And, um, 
There's a broad range of expertise uh, in uh, issues that you might be uh, um, experiencing that these people are trained in helping you find the right match. And if you discover along the way that you're not uh, maybe matched up with a person that uh, is resonating as much with you as you had hoped, uh, they will free of charge. Uh, help you find another counselor within their network. And and you do all this online. You don't have to sit in the waiting room. You can go on and it is affordable. It is um, a fraction of the cost of many of the traditional counselors that uh, you might see and in your area uh, of the country or geographically, or even maybe in just your own uh, ability or willingness to go out right now where most of us are not able to get out and do what we would have done somewhere else um, experiencing a counselor. Uh, This is a great alternative as you are in your home and alone and feeling all these things that you feel, this might be a great opportunity to tackle the things in your life that uh, have needed addressing for a while. Sometimes that's what pandemics do. They re they remind us of what's really wrong in our lives and um, we have to approach it. So this is a great opportunity. Try BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash positive sobriety. And the reason that that slash positive sobriety is important is because you will get 10% off of the first month at trybetterhelp.com slash positive sobriety. And we will get to know how our audience is resonating with the things that we are putting out there as resources. So we want you to encourage uh, yourself by taking action, taking a step, trybetterhelp.com slash positive sobriety and let this uh, great group of trained people um, take you on to the next step in your life into change. Fantastic. Well, uh, it's been great to uh, be with you virtually again, David. Absolutely. It's been, uh, it's been, a, it's been now countless weeks. I, I've lost track of how long it's been since I've been able to give you a hug. I know. I'm going to start, I'm going to start, uh, you know, putting a chalk mark on the wall for every day. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I miss the hug, Nate. I do, but uh, I, I'm, I'm hugging you in spirit. So Okay. Well, at least we've been able to talk, and uh, what a good, great conversation it's been. Until next week, then, I'm Nate. I'm David. We're your pals on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. The Positive Sobriety Podcast is recorded at Crossroads for the Nations in Brentwood, Tennessee, Live producer, Rex Schnelli. Music by Rex Schnelli. Theme music by Matt Ulrich. Uh, Hair and makeup by Lyle Lovett. Uh, Wardrobe (laughs) by Kathy Gifford. 